Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Look who's here for this Wednesday edition of PFTPM. And he actually volunteered. He wasn't drafted. We want volunteers, not hostages. We have a volunteer today, and it is Miles Simmons to help me through the latest edition of PFTPM as PFT Live continues to be on a temporary one-week break pre-scouting combine. Welcome, Miles Good to be with you. Nice to be able to take a break from time to time instead of just talk for 45 straight minutes. Yeah, it kind of is. But you know how you did the no days off things, the worst chant ever uttered by Bill Belichick. But you know, I figured I'd take a no days off thing here and come with you and sit down. You, you looked a little lonely the last couple of days. That's why I volunteered. I just I didn't want you to feel lonely anymore. Well, I'm, I'm always I'm always lonely. <laughs> and sometimes I like it that way. Speaking of Belichick, peel back the curtain as we try to line up guests for next week in Indianapolis. We'll get plenty of coaches and general managers. Matt Casey, the coordinated producer of PFT Live, asked for Belichick just for the rejection, like applying to Harvard just so you have the piece of paper that says no thank you we knew what well, the answer would be but what the hell we asked anyway hey what does wayne gretzky say as quoted by michael scott 100 <laughs> of the shots you don't take fail right miles yeah but uh not all of us would have gotten rejected to harvard so you know are you saying that you applied and you got in and you chose <laughs> columbia instead no uh, but i'm saying that i did apply to two ivy schools and i got into both of them so well, that is yeah. not a, that is the biggest brag that i've ever had on wow. air in anything in my life and who cares because i'm 31 that it really doesn't matter anymore so but you know <laughs> well I don't even know how to move on from that. I'm sorry. I don't I either. Wish I, hadn't said I, don't it. either. <laughs> I did apply to one Ivy League law school and didn't get in. I'll say that. I did apply to other law schools beyond West Virginia. But as it turned out at the time, the tuition to West Virginia University Law School was $2,000 a year. I mean, now it's probably 2000 a week for yeah. any law school anywhere. So I... And they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, especially because I had no money at the time. So uh, that was that story. OK, so here we go with the stories of the day in the National Football League. And there's always something even in the slow weeks. This is one that I missed. And we were all in Super Bowl mode. Tua Tonga-Vailoa made the rounds two days before the game. I got an email last night from a guy who is a judo expert. He was an Olympian. He's got a judo center. Jason Morris, I think is his name, although I may be, I'm sorry if I'm not remembering. It's been a busy day already, but he had emailed me in late December after Tua's most recent concussion. And he said, hey, this guy should consider judo because they teach you how to fall. That's one of the skills you need to have when you're in a judo competition because you fall down and you got to fall the right way. You're going to get injured as you fall, it's something that Tua and other football players should consider. And look, I look at every email that comes to me, but I 
I can't act on many slash any of them, especially as we're getting toward the end of the regular season. So I just kind of, it was one of those like, oh, this is interesting. And then you move on and you forget that you even got it. He reached out to me last night. He said, hey, I saw something about Tua talking about judo and he wanted me to be aware of it. So I went and did the research and lo and behold, he said during his Super Bowl rounds at the media center that he's studying judo once a week in an effort to learn how to fall down and not strike his head against the turf. Now, I don't know how effective it'll be, Miles, but it's smart and it's a concession that he needs to do something because the physics aren't in his favor. When you're six feet tall and built like me, which is kind of how he's built, you're going to get thrown to the ground by some big, strong guys. And you better have a plan for not letting your head hit the turf because that's how he got each of his two, three concussions in 2022. Right. And in order for him to keep playing and in order for him to be a good quarterback, he's got to be available. All right. And I mean, it's the cliche thing, but the coaches always talk about this. Your best ability is your availability. And so it says nothing of Tonga Vailoa's ability to be a good quarterback if he's not out there. And, you know, I want him to be healthy. I, I want him to avoid brain injuries. I think we should all want that. So if this is an avenue for him to be able to accomplish that, then fantastic. Let's see it. And I hope that it works. You know, if he's able to learn these techniques that are going to be able to help him when he goes to the ground, avoid the kinds of hits to the head that he has taken, that's awesome. And I think that that's something we should all be rooting for because otherwise he's not going to be playing. Because you, you just you cannot have him out there if he's going to continue to suffer concussions. And frankly, a doctor may not even clear him if he continue if he has another one. Well, that's the thing. There will be a concussion at some point that becomes the last one in that he won't be cleared by any doctor. There will be no doctor who will put his or her name at the bottom of the piece of paper saying, I authorize the continued participation in professional tackle football by this specific patient. And it's a combination of avoiding the hit and avoiding hitting the head on the turf. You got to get rid of the football. You got to protect yourself when you're not a larger quarterback. We rarely saw Drew Brees take big hits. Russell Wilson, yeah. who's thicker than Tua Tonga-Vailoa, same height, but there's a thickness to Russell Wilson that Tua doesn't have. He has an instinct for how to absorb a hit in a way that doesn't cause him to hit the ground and snap his neck back against the turf. You've never seen that happen to Russell Wilson. So I, I used to compare him to Barry Sanders in that Barry Sanders had a way to just kind of instinctively go with the hit that came his way and he'd land on the ground and he'd never get injured or rarely get injured. Russell Wilson, when he ran a lot early in his career, it was the same thing. But Tua, we see that head hit the ground. We saw it happen three times this year. Twice we know he had concussions. The third time, most of us believe that he did. And that's going to be the challenge. And Miles, here's the other side of it too. And I don't know enough about judo to know how judo training is going to properly simulate when he gets put into a game but i doubt that he's going to face something as rough and tumble in his judo training that he's going to see when he's out on the field and if he does at some point his head's going to potentially hit the ground as he learns how to properly fall i mean you don't just show up and say teach me how to fall and you start doing it and every time it works perfectly at some point he may hit his head on the ground and suffer right. a concussion during this judo training if they're going to do it right and prepare him to properly avoid these kinds of things during games. 
Well, it's it's like my grandpa always says about um, the man who went into the library and read all the books he could on swimming and then he got into the pool and he drowned. It's because, you know, you can have all the preparation that you want in a certain situation or you can read about it. But then if you once you get into the actual situation, it makes it very different. So, I mean, it's not that Tungvaloa doesn't know how to play football or but if you're talking about judo training, that's not football. Right. It, it's just not so. If you can learn to fall in that situation, great, but it's going to be very different when somebody who is, you know, 275 to 300 pounds is coming full speed at you and then hits you and then you fall back or you have to get twisted down in a certain way like he did in Cincinnati. It, it, it is a very different proposition. Well, and it reminds me of Tim Tebow's pre-draft experience from now 13 years ago when we heard so much about He's changing his throwing motion. He's changing right. his throwing motion. He's changing his throwing motion. And then you go out and play and your throwing motion is the same because your muscle memory takes over. Your lifetime of playing football takes over. And the judo stuff or the deliberate tightening of the throwing motion so it's not a slow motion catapult, that goes out the window because you go back to the things that you know from playing football. That's going to be the other challenge too. But implicit in the judo training miles is an acknowledgement by Tua Tonga Bailoa and those close to him that this isn't sustainable. And it makes mm -hmm. even more compelling the question of whether or not the Dolphins will sign him to a long-term deal. I doubt they will. And whether or not they'll pick up his fifth-year option. And I don't expect them to do that either. They really? need to see that he can get through a season healthy before they make a full commitment to him for 2024 and beyond. That's interesting, Mike, because, I mean, you know that Tonga Bailoa, when he's healthy, he can play. And so, I mean, I think about this versus Daniel Jones last year where it was, well, he's had some health issues, but we also aren't sure if he can play. So, if that's the case, then I, I mean, I totally understood why the Giants, especially with the new regime, were like, oh, we don't need to we don't need to pick up this option. But you don't think that the Dolphins are going to pick up the option, even though we know that Tunga Vailoa can play. It's mostly going to be the health issues that factor into it. I think that would be one of the potential issues, because, as you said, the greatest ability is availability. And this is a guy who missed four games last year, left another game early, the Bengals mm -hmm. game played through a game while he was clearly impaired, the Packers game, and then the Bills game, he left and came back when he was wobbly and possibly impaired in that game, although they managed to beat the Bills that day in September. So I think it's something they need to carefully evaluate. And they need to see whether or not he can protect himself before they make a major commitment in dollars beyond this year. Because the thing about the fifth-year option now the moment it's exercised, it's fully guaranteed. It used to be just guaranteed for injury. It's fully and completely guaranteed. And it will be higher for Tua. They changed the formula a few years ago. Qualifying for the Pro Bowl is a factor that drives it up. He's going to have a higher fifth-year option than he otherwise would have had if he'd been on the bench. Like Jordan yeah. Love's fifth-year option is going to be very low because he's barely played. Tua is going to be at the other end of the spectrum. And they were both first-round picks in 2020. So that's part of it as well. I just I go back to the talking points and the quotes from Chris Greer, the GM of the team, Mike McDaniel, the head coach, that he's our guy, he's our guy, he's our guy. Fine, pick up the option now. There's no reason not to pick up the option now. May's just a couple of months away. You want us to believe he's your guy? Pick up the option. The fact that they haven't makes me think that they're considering whether or not they need to do it. Why do it now if we have any doubt whatsoever? If they had no doubt, Miles, they would do it. Well, I mean, that's certainly something that they're going to be asked about next week at the uh, Combine, as you alluded to it. So I guess we can find out more about that next week then. 
Yeah, maybe we won't have Mike McDaniel on the show because of that. Although he was one of my favorite guests last year when we had him. I mean, I could listen to that guy forever. It's kind of like Sean Payton. It's different content. It's a different delivery. But it's the idea that you sit there and you get mesmerized by what the guy's saying. You forget mm. that at some point he's going to stop and you got another question ready. <laughs> and I, I fall into that trap with really good interviews. I fall into that trap where you you, you become Chris Farley and you're like, that was awesome. You have no idea what to say next because you just loved hearing what the guy had to say. All right, here's what we're going to say next now that we've talked about Tua. LaShawn McCoy, former NFL running back who now has a platform with FS1, taking shots at Eric Bieniemy, now the commander's assistant head coach and offensive coordinator after being the OC for five years with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. He was a successor to Matt Nagy, who got a head coaching job, even though Andy Reid runs the offense there. And Nagy was the successor to Doug Peterson, who got a head coaching job even though Andy Reid runs the offense there, that knocks down one of the theories that is percolating that Andy Reid was somehow holding Eric Bieniemy back. Well, now no one is going to hold Bieniemy back because his head coach is a defensive guy. But McCoy dusting off some past criticism of Bieniemy, and this time around, McCoy is saying Bieniemy doesn't run the passing game or didn't run the passing game in Kansas City, which obviously undermines his credentials and pushes back against the idea he should be a head coach. I'm glad that players came out and pushed back against McCoy. Let's have everybody's opinion out there. Let's hear from all these players. If McCoy's going to pop off, let's hear from everybody about what Eric Bieniemy did and didn't do in Kansas City. Because what happens is, Miles, and we texted about this earlier, there are people out there who want to say, see, see, that's why he's not a head coach. See, it's one guy. Right. It's one guy who's who's clearly upset with how his career ended in Kansas City, how it started, how it finished. He wasn't the guy in Kansas City. He's got some hard feelings and he's he's throwing darts at Eric Bieniemy. It's one guy. If we're going to do that, let's balance one guy against all the other guys who have spoken out. Well, and it's funny because this stuff kind of has popped up earlier um, in the 2022 offseason where I don't remember exactly what the criticism was that LaShawn McCoy had levied against Eric Bieniemy, But at that time, Andy Reid was asked about it. And he said that, you know, I mean, I think that sometimes there may be some hard feelings when things don't go the way you want them to internally. Right. And at that point, McCoy had been a part of the Kansas City Chiefs and then he wasn't you know, very effective toward the end of his career. Right. And then that was one of the things that happened. And Travis Kelsey was also asked about it. And he said something pretty similar where it's like, you know, sometimes you have one perspective that comes from maybe you were coached a little bit hard. Or maybe things didn't exactly turn out the way you wanted them to in a certain situation. But I mean, when I hear what McCoy had to say about Eric B having quote, nothing to do with the passing game for the Kansas city chiefs, it just doesn't ring true based on what we've heard from people within the chiefs, like Chad Henney, who told the athletic after super bowl 57, that Eric B was the one who pointed out the night before at that, how the uh, Eagles responded to what the Jaguars had run with basically that same corn dog play. This was back in week four of the 2022 season where the Jaguars scored their second touchdown. They basically ran that same jet motion stop and then they go back to the outside and the man was wide open, right? That's something that Eric Bieniemy pointed out on film to the team. So if you're saying that he had nothing to do with the passing game, I mean, I think that that has a lot to do with the passing game, right? And LaShawn McCoy hadn't been there for years. 
So why is it that we just run to say, oh, see, see, he said it. He was there at one point. That must mean it's absolutely true. When we've got quotes from like less than two weeks ago that tell us that that's not true. That's the stuff that kind of bothers me about this, Mike. Well, and I look at it this way. Tyree Kill is one of the players who came out on the record to dispute LaShawn McCoy. And Tyree Kill right now is not the guy who has the clear bias to support anything Chiefs related. After he left last year, he said some things that, look, he was trying to boost his own guy to a Tonga Bailoa, but he took some shots at the Chiefs. He took some shots at Patrick Mahomes. He made it clear that he wasn't happy with his role in the offense. His natural bias and inclination would have been to blame anyone he could. And if he could have thrown a rock or two at Eric the enemy, he would have, and he still would. And the fact that Tyree Kill has nothing negative to say about the enemy says everything to me. You have yeah. one guy who's disgruntled. He's not happy with the fact that he was deactivated late in that season with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now he's got a platform, and he's in a position to speak his mind, to air his grievances, and there are others in the media who will seize on that one voice, that one isolated voice, regardless of his biases against Eric Bieniemy. they'll seize on that voice and say, aha, that's why he's not a head coach. It has nothing to do with the NFL's decades-long issue with racial bias in the hiring of head coaches. That has nothing to do with it. That's all false. That's all phony. It's all because of LaShawn McCoy, because this one person who's upset about how his time with the Chiefs went is saying these things. And let's ignore the fact that there are multiple other voices contradicting it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I thought Jason Reed of uh, Anscape, the ESPN vertical, had a really good point in the piece he wrote on the enemy the other day. It was basically that, you know, while we can talk about how the enemy is going someplace and he may or may not need to prove himself or whatever, right? Why does he not deserve the same chance? That, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, a Matt Rule or a Nathaniel Hackett had to fail when ostensibly they had much weaker resumes, especially when it comes to NFL experience than somebody like Eric Bieniemy. I mean, you can say whatever it is. And obviously all three of those guys were not good head coaches. But why is it that Eric Bieniemy doesn't even get the chance to prove that he can't be a good head coach based on what his resume is? I, I don't know. Well, and this dawned on me after watching Bomani Jones delve into the NFL's significant financial investment in social justice causes, $250 million. It dwarfs the money the NFL contributes to other causes. And there's a sweet spot the NFL tries to find where you contribute the money, but if you start doing tangible things, that's when you rile up 30% of the audience that is going to be mad at you for being woke and yeah. i feel like one of the reasons at the end of the day eric Bieniemy isn't a head coach is because owners are concerned that that 30 percent of their fan base and that same 30 percent is in every fan base maybe in some it's a higher percentage than others but that 30 percent is out there if you give eric Bieniemy a head coaching job those same voices that are seizing on what LaShawn mccoy had to say are going to be the ones who are riling up the the folks who will say the owner of my favorite team gave in to the woke mob I'm not going to watch that team anymore. I'm not going to buy tickets anymore. I'm not going to buy jerseys anymore because my owner doesn't have the courage to stand up to the woke mob. That's what I think at the end of the day is holding Eric Bieniemy back far more than any other factor.
Yeah, it's not Andy Reid. It's not anything else. I mean, right? It, it has to be something like that. And I think that that's a really good point, Mike, because it's it. I think it does place some, some something specific as to what is in the back of the NFL owners' minds, other than oh, Eric B. Enemy. I mean, he's worked with Andy Reid, and Andy Reid's coaching tree has been largely successful when those people have gone on to other places. Certainly more successful than the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Right. And you look at all the people that he has, you know, worked with that have then gone on and then not just been to playoffs, but won Super Bowls. So there are things that must be in the back of the owners' minds. And I think that that must be it because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know, I, the last couple of years, especially, you've just been trying to figure out what could it possibly be where. You know, you watch Eric Bannon's press conferences and he comes across as somebody who is very professional, knows what he is talking about, you know, very polite with the media. So this whole he doesn't interview well thing has never really struck me as something that makes sense. So what could it possibly be? I mean, yeah, I think race plays a factor, but I think that what the response could be from the fans that's something that I don't know that I've heard much of, Mike, and I, I think that's a great point. Well, it's it's why the NFL tiptoed so carefully around issues with the anthem, around Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. They they were, and this came out during the Kaepernick litigation. He filed the arbitration claim against the NFL. There was some discovery that was done. It was all under an order of secrecy, but I picked up enough during that process to know that the NFL's internal studies were focused more on the 30% that was likely to get upset if they did business with Colin Kaepernick, then the 30% that would be upset if they didn't. Mm -hmm. They were more sensitive to the 30% that were likely to huff and puff and maybe for a week or two blow someone's house down until they came back and watched football again. But the NFL, hypersensitive to that end of the spectrum, not the other end of the spectrum. And that would explain it. That would make sense. And I'm a big fan of Occam's razors, the only razor I shave with. The simplest explanation is usually the truth. And I think to me, when we look at the broader lens of the NFL's experience over the past decade, that's the simplest explanation. You've got owners in the back of their mind who were worried about that 30%, riling up that 30%, something like this would, because we know we know that there are voices in the media that would immediately start stirring that pot. They gave in to the woke mob and you're going to have people saying, I'm done. I'm not renewing my season tickets. I'm burning my jerseys, whatever it may be. You know that would happen if and when Eric Bieniemy got a head coaching job. That's so silly because Eric Bieniemy has worked with one of the greatest coaches of all time and one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And they're always giving him credit for stuff. I, I, so it's like, well, what am I missing here? When I see stuff like that, it's like I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like, what what am I missing that these folks over here are like, well, he can't do blah and he's not really doing this. And this is all because it's Andy Reid and it's this and it's that. Well, why is Andy Reid getting up and basically standing on the table in an owner's meeting and being like, why haven't you guys hired this person? It, it's it. Yeah, it's baffling to me. It, wow. it really is. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens with the commanders. And I don't know if you've seen my take on the whole Lamar Jackson thing, because it is odd to me that Ron Rivera is so open with this notion that they're not pursuing any veteran quarterbacks. And I just wonder if the next thing we hear after they pursue Lamar Jackson is, well, that's what we thought when we 
had no idea to believe Lamar Jackson would be available via the right. non-exclusive franchise tag. Why in the world would the Ravens make him available that way? So hell yes, the moment that he was available, because we never thought it would happen. We did everything we could to try to get him. Having a guy like Lamar Jackson available changes plans. And, you know, here's the problem. If they would get him and it goes well, well, it's not because of Eric Biani. It's because he has Lamar Jackson. That becomes the <laughs> argument next year yes. when the head coaching cycle gives Biani the cold shoulder again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, well, he's just worked with two of the greatest quarterbacks we've seen in the last 10 years. So why is it that he should get any credit when it's just their greatness? Uh, whatever. Yeah. And if Sam Howell does well this year, well, it's Sam Howell. Well, they got a steal. He would have been a first round pick if he'd come out a year earlier than he yeah. did. Yeah. There's always going to be something. And it's reality. And I feel bad for Biennemi because he gets caught in this, just like Tua gets caught in the concussion thing. Mm -hmm. Eric Biennemi has got caught in this and he really didn't want it. He didn't ask for it, but that's where we are. And we'll learn a lot in 2023 as to whether or not the enemy can finally springboard into a head coaching job. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. All right, Josh McDaniels was a guy who got a second head coaching job, even though first time around it didn't go very well in Denver. And if you remember, his first order of business in Denver was to run off Jay Cutler and then draft the aforementioned Tebow. And yet McDaniels still is a head coach again. Well, now... Now they have no quarterback. Derek Carr is gone. And we've been trying to connect dots on who they might bring in. I was surprised to see that GM Dave Ziegler said there may be no immediate answer this year at the quarterback position. And if you take that very literally, what does that mean? We're not going to have a quarterback at all. <laughs> and I, so, I mean, is it like we're just going to go find some guy? We're just going to throw a dart? Oh, here, this guy, this is our I mean, there is going to be an answer because someone is going to be playing quarterback. I feel like they're just trying to buy more time with the fan base and buy more time with Mark Davis as they kind of grope in the dark in the Aaron Rodgers darkened closet for a quarterback that is going to be the answer. I mean, there's plenty of options this year. How can you not find a quarterback this year that you consider an answer? Even if it's a short-term answer, it's still an answer. 
All right. I mean, are you just going to be asking questions for 17 games then? Because what kind of strategy is that, especially when you're in an AFC West division that should be pretty competitive? And it's not like they were completely uncompetitive all the time, especially in division play last year. So whether it's Jarrett Stidham or they, they go back to or maybe they go to Baker Mayfield because Josh McDaniels liked him coming out of the draft or, you know, I don't know, Jameis Winston or something. I mean, there are there are going to be quarterbacks available. It could be Aaron Rodgers. It obviously just isn't going to be Tom Brady. Right. Or at least today, it's not going to be Tom Brady. Well, I guess we will see if that continues to be the case. And he says he's retired for good. But who knows? I mean, it, but that seems to be kind of what the pivot point is now, because plan A probably at least this is what it appears to have been was Tom Brady will come in and then we will have somebody else be there backing him up and we will train them. And then, you know, whenever Tom Brady's done, then that's who we'll turn it over to. I mean, that's not going to happen right now. So I don't know if they're just going to be asking questions, but you have to have some sort of answer in place at, by the time week one starts. The options to me are fairly straightforward to the extent that McDaniels wants somebody who is familiar with his system and his way of coaching. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, Mac Jones, if they would actually pull off a trade. And remember, when Bill Belichick was asked after the season whether Mac Jones is a starter for 2023, Belichick's answer was, Mac has shown he can play in this league, which mm -hmm. is not yes. And that's the kind of thing where anything other than yes, maybe, maybe no, maybe we'll see. And then uh, the Baker Mayfield connection, because that was a guy that McDaniels worked out privately and secretly before the 2018 draft and McDaniels had the front row seat for that performance by Mayfield. I, well, you were in the building that I night was in the building when yeah. Mayfield erased the 16 to three deficit two days after he showed up in LA. So that could be, but you don't, I mean, look, I, I know you don't want to set the bar unreasonably high, but if you basically say, we don't know what the hell we're doing this year, <laughs> whoever the quarterback is, is the guy who's the, well, we don't know what the hell we're doing. So we're just going to trot this guy out and see what happens. Unless you draft one, right? And then at that point, I mean, you draft one in the first round, then you're saying, okay, this is who we think is going to be the solution for, you know, the next five years, hopefully longer than that. But yeah, other than that, I don't, I don't know what you do. Wouldn't it be fascinating though, if you know, the Patriots ended up going back to Jimmy Garoppolo and then they traded Mac Jones to the Raiders. I think that would be fascinating. That would be something. And I do think that Bill O'Brien, the new offensive coordinator, they're back in the job that he once had before he became the coach of Penn State and then the Texans. The idea that Belichick, after trying the Frankenstein monster approach with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge last year, I think he's going to put a lot of stock in what Bill O'Brien wants to do. And O'Brien may not be a Jones guy. He may want to go back to a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, but that, that just adds to what's going to be a fascinating offseason when it comes to the quarterback position. Another reason this offseason is going to be fascinating, we're in the early stages of the Michael Irvin litigation against Marriott, a proud sponsor of the National Football League. And look, I, I need to give you an update. Miles, I, I, I don't know how much interest you have in this case, but one thing I've learned by tracking our traffic, these Michael Irvin stories sell. People want to read about it. And it really is amazing when you think, Irvin is at a Marriott property in Arizona. He has an interaction with a female employee of the hotel. There's a complaint made to NFL Network by Marriott, proud sponsor of the NFL, about Irvin's behavior. He's pulled off the air for Super Bowl week. ESPN removes him from first take that week. And Irvin, Irvin acts consistently with, I always say this, if somebody is wrongfully accused, 
I want to see them shout their innocence from the rooftops. I want to see them behave like someone who's been wrongfully accused. And by filing that lawsuit immediately and aggressively trying to get the video surveillance from the hotel, and that's been the latest development, the lawyer is mad as hell. That was the quote to Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News that Marriott won't give this video. Why won't you give the video? At some point, people like us are going to say, if you're hiding this, you must know that the video undercuts the basis for the complaint that was made against Michael Irvin. Yeah, and that is something that I think that everybody wants to see. I mean, I, I would like to see it because I do think it's interesting because, hey, I mean, like you said, he was pulled off the air from ESPN and NFL Network, but then he was back on Paramount Plus the next week doing the Inside the NFL show. So I don't know what exactly went on behind the scenes that he was still able to do that, you know, instead of what the shows were um, during the week. But that's something that we know happened. So whether or not Marriott decides to give this up, I mean, I totally understand his lawyer's perspective that he's mad as hell. And like you said, Michael Irvin has been consistent in shouting his innocence from the rooftops, basically. So I guess we'll see what happens here. Well, I'm I'm fascinated to know that we found the one person who watches inside the NFL on Paramount Plus. I wasn't well, sure anyone did. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Paramount Plus. Oh, uh, please continue to enjoy the Peacock offerings, by the way. <laughs> the, the other point, too, is the judge assigned to the case, Amos Mazant. I may be mispronouncing it. It could be Mazant, 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 potato, potato. The bottom line is he's a guy that has some experience with NFL cases. He's the guy that initially overturned the Ezekiel Elliott suspension several years back. He's been involved in some other NFL cases. And I pointed this out yesterday. This is a very simple proposition, but it is 100% true for people who handle civil cases, especially when you get into federal court where the judges are appointed by presidents. When you have a judge who's appointed by a Democratic president, that judge is more likely to be pro-individual. When you have a judge who is appointed by a Republican president, that judge is more likely to be pro-business. It is part of the philosophy. It's part of the conservative slash liberal divide. The conservative mindset is pro-business, business activity. Let's support business. The democratic ideal, the liberal, progressive, whatever term you want to apply, is more about propping up the individual. That's where that all comes from. The fact that this is an Obama appointee, and when you look at the track record in the Elliott case, turning over what the NFL, the big business, wanted to do, that's going to be favorable to Michael Irvin. And it manifests itself, Miles, not in one big fell swoop. It's a ruling here. It's a ruling there. It's an opinion here, a mindset here, a mindset there. It's a perspective that someone who believes these things, it's part of the political ideology that got the person in position to be appointed to that job. That's what that person carries around. And I remember learning in, and, and I hated this because I thought that there should be a formula. There should be a math to the law. And there isn't. At the end of the day, if you have a judge making decisions, you didn't know everything you can about that judge, the background. Everything, upbringing, education, political ideology, those all go into the, the brain that makes these decisions. So bottom line, that's good news for Irvin that the judge was appointed by a Democratic president. That's going to help him throughout the course of the litigation start to finish. So what is the next step now in this process for Irvin? Well, the ruling had been made by the state court judge that the video needs to be surrendered by Marriott. 
The removal of the case from state court to federal court doesn't change the law of the case. So there will be, now that the case has been removed, Irvin's got 30 days to try to take it back to state court. I don't think he has any basis to take it back. There is what we call diversity of citizenship. There's a recognition under federal law of home cooking in state courts because the judges are elected by the local population. Federal court judges are more inclined to be fair in a situation where you've got an out-of-state multi-billion dollar conglomerate that's defending itself on foreign territory. So the case moves forward in federal court. There will be a scheduling conference at some point after that scheduling conference where they pick trial dates and other deadlines. That's when I think things will get moving. And that's when Irvin's lawyers are going to demand the video. At some point, the video will be produced. Will we ever see it? I don't know. There may be a a very broad protective order that prevents either side from putting it out there. But that video is going to be a key piece of evidence in determining whether or not Marriott is in the wrong here. And if they are in the wrong, my guess is they're, they're probably going to quietly write a very large check to Michael Irvin and we'll never know the amount and it'll all just go away. And all that Irvin will be allowed to say is the matter has been resolved. And that's the end of it. I, I won't be surprised if that happens at some point in the next six months. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question. I mean, is is because once that video is produced, if that, you know, gives Marriott the incentive to settle, then isn't this just kind of going to go away into thin air? And then we'll kind of never really hear about it again. But that, I think, would be the biggest thing for Michael Irvin, would it not? Well, that's right. If the video fails to corroborate what this person is claiming. And look, there's three potential outcomes here. One, the video shows that he did what he's accused of doing. Two, right. it shows the exact opposite. Three, what if it's inconclusive? Or hmm. even more, Miles, what if it's one of those eye of the beholder things where one person can look at the video and say, aha, I see wrongdoing. And somebody else looks at it and says, no, no, not, nothing went on there. And then it becomes for a jury to interpret whether or not it was wrongdoing. I mean, there's a chance it falls into that, that no man's land of different people. Reasonable minds can come to different conclusions about what they see. If it's clear one way or the other as to whether or not there's wrongdoing or no wrongdoing, I don't think the case is going to last into summer. Okay, well, then I guess that's our timeline then of when we need to be looking out for it. And and look, again, I don't root for these cases to linger any longer than they have to. I think it's good for parties to work out their differences and move on with their lives. But to the extent that there's interest out there in this case, we will continue to follow it. We'll write about it. We'll report on it because it is very interesting. And, you know, look, I, I'm not a big believer. I said this yesterday, Miles, that that false accusations happen on a regular basis. But they do happen. History has shown us that they happen. And it is possible that in this case, the accusation was false. And Michael Irvin is behaving consistently with someone who has been falsely accused. And we'll see if the facts bear it out. All right. What I'm doing now clumsily is I multitask here. I'm finding the tweet from earlier today in which we posed uh, the question or invited that questions be posed to us. And, and let's start here. PFTPM Posse wants to know the, what the liability or responsibility of the NFL would be and what scrutiny it should receive in regard to the Irvin allegations. This is an interesting point because the NFL arguably overreacted by pulling him off the air. Like on on what basis did the NFL make its decision? Did the NFL defer to Marriott because Marriott is a sponsor of the NFL? And that's part of what Irvin's going to try to find out. His lawyer's going to try to find out. 
who got this complaint, what information was provided, what questions were asked, how much pushback, if any, was there? How hard did NFL Network fight for its guy? And didn't even bother to get his version before just saying, that's it, Michael, you're off the air until mm-hmm. we figure this out. So the NFL needs to be careful here. Now, I, I assume Michael Irvin would still rather continue to be employed by the NFL and by NFL Network, but but this is potentially dangerous ground for the NFL if they acted rashly and prematurely and based on bad information and taking action against Irvin. Well, and that's the thing that Irvin's lawyer has to try to figure out. I mean, it, what was the exact circumstances um, that made Irvin get off the air, right? And, and it's not just with NFL Networks, also with ESPN as well, because he was not on the air with First Take as he was scheduled to be. So these are all the questions that they're going to have to figure out. Yeah, and the folks at Paramount Plus ultimately decided that whatever was out there was not enough to get them to keep him off the air Mm -hmm. for that week after the Super Bowl show. Here's a question from Neil Watches PFT. With the way quarterback contracts have inflated to astronomical levels, could an argument be made that teams should just draft a quarterback every year and keep them on rookie deals the way they treat running backs instead of taking flyers on B-tier veterans like Sam Donald, Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz, Derek Carr, Matt Ryan, not that Matt Ryan's going to have any options this year, I think, uh, unless he wants to take the absolute minimum or close to it. So, so sorry, that wasn't really a stray at Matt Ryan, but I just I don't know that he's going to get an astronomical B-level deal. Uh, But I see the point here. I see the question. And at some point, teams and I think the issue is more properly framed as at what point do teams say we're not going to pay the quarterback who falls just on the other side of the pass line of pass fail. He's not a bust. He's not a franchise quarterback. He's good enough. How long is good enough? Good enough for some teams. Good enough is good enough for other teams like the chiefs. When they had Alex Smith, that's not good enough. We can get Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's the challenge. And I think the Vikings deal with this. Kirk cousins. Hmm. Isn't a franchise quarterback. Sorry, folks. He's not, but if they get rid of Kirk cousins, Who's their quarterback going to be? Because it's not like you just turn and say, okay, Patrick Mahomes, come on in and take over. You can't have a franchise quarterback, so you got to settle for a guy who's just good enough. So, Miles, look, I I buy the idea of trying to develop young quarterbacks, but there are teams out there that have franchise quarterbacks and teams that don't. And the teams that don't still need somebody who's good enough to win games and put a team in contention. Well, it's not just that. It's also who do you have behind that quarterback so that if something happens, you know, you can turn to that guy. And I mean, there's no better example of this than the 49ers who, you know, despite having Trey Lance and then they also had Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster that they didn't anticipate having him at that point, probably in the 2022 season. They went and they drafted Brock Purdy in the seventh round. And if they hadn't done that, then who knows the way that their season would have ended up. They certainly wouldn't have been in the NFC championship game without Brock Purdy. So there is a balance of, okay, we know we have this, but then let's make sure that we are still stocked up at the position with somebody else. Look at what the Eagles did a few years ago. They had Carson Wentz, but they knew that the backup quarterback is a premium position on that team in part because of what they went through in 2017. So what did they do? They draft Jalen Hurts. And oh, by the way, Jalen Hurts becomes their franchise guy and leads them to a Super Bowl and plays pretty, really pretty well. You know, aside from the one fumble, he had a great game. So I think that the quarterback position, because of its importance, it's, it's just how do you make sure that your team construction is 
in such a way that prioritizes the quarterback where you can develop a guy, or at least you have a guy that you trust enough that you can go and say, all right, if our starters got to miss a game or two, then we can turn it over to you. And we don't feel like we're going to be, a, a, you know, completely up bleeps Creek. Well, and the reality is you never know where that franchise quarterback is going to come from. Not that we're going to see a Tom Brady every five or 10 years come from round six, pick number 199. But there are guys who are drafted beyond round one, beyond round two, beyond round three, who can develop into competent NFL quarterbacks. And there's only one way to find out. And it's a low financial risk. And the reward is incredible if you're one of the teams that scratches off that low-cost lottery ticket, and it ends up being a winner. Here's a question from Anastasia Williams. Do you think Dan Snyder will ever sell the Commanders? And look, he reportedly wants $7 billion, and he hasn't seen $7 billion yet. And I've seen reports from folks like the Washington Post pointing out that, you know, there may not be people out there with the kind of money to satisfy what his expectations are, and is Jeff Bezos going to get in or not? And Miles, I'll look at it this way. He's going to try to voluntarily sell the team. If he doesn't get what he's looking for, is that when there's a more aggressive push by his partners to force him to sell? And how much of that's going on behind the scenes now? How much is he hearing from Roger Goodell or other owners saying, hey, what's up with the sale? Are you going to sell this team or do we have to do something about it? Because I would have made it clear to him last year, if we aren't approving a sale of the team at our March meetings in Arizona, what we're going to be doing is taking a vote on whether or not you're going to be forced to sell. It's up to you. You decide the agenda item. It's either approval of new buyer or vote to force you to sell. And, you know, at the end of the day, there is concern that he would fight and fight aggressively and throw everything he had at the NFL to try to keep them from pushing him out. So I think he will sell. I think the process is too far out of the box. I just think the question is how much money is he going to get? Whatever it is, it's a huge return on his original investment. Is he going to get $7 billion or more? We'll see. But I really do think, even though I'm concerned that he's going to pull a, a switcheroo at some point and act consistently with his nature, I, I think that too much has happened to make me believe he's not going to sell the team to somebody in the not-too-distant future. It, it seems like it's going in that direction. I mean, you've got now multiple people, according to the Washington Post, going through uh, that Ashburn facility. And now they are you know, looking at every aspect of the organization and to potential bidders to become the owner of the Washington franchise. You know, what interests me, though, Mike, with this is if. You know, we get to a point where Dan Snyder starts to maybe pull back and say, oh, well, I'm not getting what I want, so I'm not going to sell. There's still that Mary Jo White investigation that is just kind of out there, right? And Roger Goodell was asked about it at the Super Bowl, and he said there's no timeline, and, you know, she's doing her work, and la, la, la. So I don't know if that also is maybe an incentive for the NFL and for Dan Snyder to be like, hey, you need to make sure that you're selling this thing or Mary Jo White's going to come and she's going to drop the hammer on you. But maybe, I don't know. I mean, it, it's something that is still out there that could be a factor in this. Miles, I know there are people in the league who are skeptical that the Mary Jo White investigation will ever lead to anything as long as the team is sold. So the flip side is true. It continues to be a tool that the NFL could use to leverage Daniel Snyder to continue down this path. And it's part of the it's part of the quid pro quo. Hey, go ahead and sell this team and we'll just never do anything with this Mary Jo White investigation. Or after you sell, we'll drop on the Friday before 4th of July weekend, 
an announcement that we've concluded there was no wrongdoing and what's anybody going to do about it by the following Monday or Tuesday, it's all going to be forgotten. That's how they handled it two years ago. And maybe that's mm -hmm. how they'd handle it now. Here's a question that I saw as I was scrolling through here. And my first thought was, eh, there's really nothing to it. But as I think about it, I think it's something that merits conversation. A Red Zona UK, otherwise known as Tom Marshall, long-term friend of the program from the UK, is there a scenario where Lamar Jackson could sit out 2023? My first thought was there's no way he's not going to play this year. But then let's 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 look at how the dominoes would have to fall to get to that point. Step one, no long-term contract between now and March 7th. I don't think there's going to be a long-term contract between him and the Ravens. Step two, franchise tag is applied. Whether it's non-exclusive or exclusive, either way. 32 million, non-exclusive, somewhere between 40 and 45 million if it's exclusive. And whether it's non-exclusive and nobody gives him a five-year fully guaranteed contract and he just reverts to the Ravens with the one-year franchise tender and they don't work out a long-term deal by July 15, or it's exclusive and he can't talk to anybody else and July 15 still applies as the deadline for a long-term deal. Let's say we get past July 15. He's still subject to the franchise tender. He hasn't signed a long-term contract. He doesn't have to show up. We mm -hmm. saw Le'Veon Bell do that to the Steelers in 2018. It was part of his path toward unrestricted free agency. And it gets complicated, but I'll make it as simple as possible. The Steelers would have had to give him a ridiculously high tender to franchise tag him again in 2019. That's why they walked away. Lamar isn't in that same spot because this is his first year of the tag. But maybe maybe miles especially if it's the lower tender at 32 million maybe he says i'm not playing for 32 million i will sit out i'm just not playing and that's that i'm just not going to do it we'll do it again next year i'll give it 32 million i'll keep myself healthy and i'll still be able to play at a high level and let's just do it all again next year when you're dealing with a guy who isn't being advised by an agent and whose decisions so far haven't seemed to be the best possible decisions for him to make. Because I'm convinced if we knew the full terms of the best offer the Ravens made him in August of 2022, collectively we would say he should have taken it. I can't rule out that he'll just sit back and say, you know what, I'm just not going to show up. I'm just not going to play this year. I, I would have thought before we started down this path, it's highly unlikely. And I'm not going to say it's likely, but I'm going to say it's not implausible. I, I don't think it's implausible. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out because, I mean, we're, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but we're dealing with an unpredictable situation with Lamar Jackson because I don't think that anybody would have predicted after he won the MVP in 2019 that he would not have a long-term deal worked out with the Baltimore Ravens heading into the 2023 offseason. So that alone makes it unpredictable. We don't know, you know, whether or not the Ravens are going to put the exclusive franchise tag on him or the non-exclusive franchise tag on him, at least at this point. And maybe we'll figure that out next week at the Combine um, when, you know, we hear from uh, John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta. But at this point, no, you, you can't rule that out because it's an unpredictable situation. So, I mean, when you're dealing with unpredictable actors, they could end up doing unpredictable things. And, you know, Lamar Jackson has not been healthy. And Peter King has pointed this out in our podcast, um, his podcast that I'm on uh, many times. But, you know, when Lamar Jackson has not played 
about 30% of the snaps in the last few years, just over 30%, that means that his availability is in question, right? So if he's going to have a year to stay healthy and then produce himself potentially again on the open market, then that's something that I don't think can be ruled out either. So yeah, I, it's not completely out of the question to me that we don't see Lamar Jackson playing in 2023 because there are just so many unanswered questions right now. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. The whole thing has been so unconventional and unpredictable that we can't approach this the way that we would a normal situation yeah. where an agent is involved and guiding the player through the process. And I'm convinced if an agent was involved, he'd already have his contract. And if an agent was involved now, he'd either have a contract or there would be some sort of a deal worked out, whether it's offer sheets signed, Ravens match or don't match and they get two first round picks as compensation, or there's just a trade. You know, a point I've been making, if it's the Falcons or the Panthers who want him, they have a top 10 pick. Surely they'd be able to go to the Ravens and say, hey, look, instead of giving you two first round picks, you're getting a top 10 pick. Somebody else signs me to an offer sheet with a pick that falls in the 20s. That's still what you're entitled to. So you're getting something better. So how about expect something less than a second first round pick that can all happen if the non-exclusive tag is applied it can also happen if the exclusive tag is applied they can still trade him out from under the exclusive tag but i think the one thing we know is that tag is coming they're not getting a deal worked out in the next 13 days the tag is coming and we will hear more next week and miles one thing i'd love to hear if they circle back to it there was a point made by eric DaCosta in the end of season press conference about this duality they're dealing with lamar the player Lamar the agent. Mm-hmm. And we love Lamar the player. They went on and about how much they love Lamar the player. And nobody said, tell us what you think about Lamar the agent. Glossed right over that. Hopefully next week when they do their press conference, someone will say to Eric DaCosta, what do you think about Lamar Jackson the agent? Yeah, well, I mean, they must be frustrated with Lamar Jackson, the agent, because they have not worked out a long-term deal with somebody they believe is their franchise quarterback. I mean, it, it's... We know that essentially because they've kind of said it, you know, that Lamar Jackson did not engage us and we were ready to sit down with him and he didn't engage with us in 2021 because he wanted to focus on getting better or all these different types of things. And so then it goes into 2022 and they don't work out anything before the season starts. So, yeah, I I would imagine that they are frustrated and that they have reason to be, but they don't want to be like, oh, man, you know, this guy, the agent is not that great. And we wish that we didn't have to deal with this guy, the agent. But I don't think I would want to say that publicly either about my franchise quarterback. They still hold out hope of working something out, as evidenced by the fact that they refuse to be responsible for leaking any information about what they've offered to Lamar Jackson. All leaks have come through the NFL Players Association, not through the Baltimore Ravens. And I still believe if we knew the full details of the contract, we would say, He probably should have taken it and that the dribs and drabs that have come out are aimed at making him look good and the Ravens look bad. I think if the truth were ever told, most people at a time when most people don't agree on anything, most people would say, wow, Lamar, probably should have taken that offer. We'll see if that truth ever comes out. I've got to go. I got something else I need to do. Miles, you you, you, see, be careful what you wish for. You had a full hour of your day consumed. Because last night, maybe you had a little makers. You were feeling like, hey, you know, let's let's uh, let's have some fun tomorrow. Thought this was going to be fun. I hope you had fun. 
I appreciate yeah. you doing it. It was easier than me just going on and on for an hour. I'll tell you that it was a good conversation. So thank you. We'll see if Miles enjoyed it based on whether or not he volunteers to do it again. That'll be the ultimate test. I'll do it again. Why not, man? I, I it's a slow week. Why not? I can come on and have some fun. I live right. by myself. I don't. I don't you've, usually talk to people all day. You've written the check. You'll have to honor it later this week. Thanks to all of you for some of your time. We appreciate you listening and reading at PFT. We'll be posting content all day long, and we'll do this again real soon. Thanks again. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.